think 10x, 10x higher than what you are currently thinking. And this is when you start building amazing solutions, amazing, give amazing uh, experience to your customers because now you're thinking about having the biggest impact possible uh, for your customers and for yourself. And this is when you start building amazing stuff. Like this is what I tell every entrepreneur that I meet nowadays. Think much, much bigger, way, way higher. You might not think that you're capable of doing that, but again, it's not a one-year journey, it's a 10-year journey. You learn along the way. But until you start thinking bigger, you won't be able to get there. Hello, everyone. Neil Patelia. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Indian Startup Show. And that was my guest, Parwan Gupta. He's the co-founder and CEO of Fashinza. They are digitizing the supply chain to make it more efficient, transparent, fast, and sustainable. It all started with a trip to Jaipur, the clothing manufacturing capital of India. Not to talk about manufacturing, but talk about pain points, and he will discuss what those pain points are. He talks about how they went from building the MVP using WhatsApp, Airtable, and Excel, to now being one of the biggest companies in the world in this sector. Amazing stuff. He talks about how they use technology to digitalize the supply chain, thoughts on scaling, how they work with brands and how they onboard customers, talks about building trust in the early days, talks about dealing with fashion and ethical issues, gives great advice for first-time entrepreneurs, talks about being a two-time entrepreneur, talks about having a successful exit, talks about his two-part hiring process, and finally talks about NFTs and his sporting heroes and why you should think big and much, much more. So please enjoy the show. Thank you. Hello, Pawan. Uh, thank you for coming on the Indian Startup Show today. Hey, thanks, Neil. Thanks for having me here. Pleasure being here. Awesome stuff. Please tell us what you're building. Yeah, we're building Fashions, uh, which is a B2B marketplace for parallel brands, all your D2C online brands to get real-time access to manufacturing based out of across the world. I mean, today we're present in India and Bangladesh on manufacturing, but to work with them transparently, to be assured that those manufacturers are ethical and they're actually doing your stuff, and be able to do this completely online is something that we solve for these fashion brands. Awesome stuff. And what inspired you to do this? I mean, it's not a short story. So if you're up for a long one, I'm happy yeah, to go yeah. ahead. Let, let you plump up my cushion. Go on. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, my co-founders, Abhishek, Jamil, and I were like friends from earlier. And uh, a lot of our friends, we realized that for starting up new age brands. I mean, jewelry, apparel, cosmetics, whatnot. And they were becoming big really quickly. And I think the entire ecosystem of Shopify, Amazon, other marketplaces was really powering them. So many tools out there uh, for a D2C entrepreneur nowadays. But we all, I mean, like one thing we all saw them struggling with and always scribbling about was their supply chain. They're always like, oh, my, uh, my supplier is not responding. I have to be on call with them like 20 times a day. I have zero visibility. I mean, they all lie to me or n number of things. I always saw them struggling so much about their supply chain. And be it domestic or international, even if they were importing or even if they were producing in the same city, they were always struggling. And incidentally, we ended up taking a quick road trip to Jaipur. Okay. Jaipur is like a pretty historical city mm. for us from here where we live in Delhi. And there we went on a road trip and so met a lot of friends who were manufacturers. Apparently, they manufactured all kinds of garments. You know, all these embellished, flashy Indian-style garments mm. you see. You see, And they were, the, they were the ones manufacturing them in Jaipur. A lot of, a lot of handwork is involved. And when we went and visited those factories, we saw like these hundreds of women being employed there, really sweating out. Mm. Uh, I mean, when I say sweating out, I mean like really doing hard work and yeah. really intricate work on what kind of products they were making, really serious about their stuff. And we realized, I mean, like, 
we've heard so much cribbing from our from our friends who were their customers but at the same time on the ground we could see so much hard work like we could see so they're really putting in their skill and effort in them then where's the disconnect like why is their customers so unhappy about things when we spoke to them as manufacturers we realized that they had the same thing to say about their customers they were like oh the customers keep on changing their requirements in the middle uh, or they just send something on whatsapp or they send something on email we have no idea which one is the final one uh, it just it's so confusing we don't get timely communication with them it's very hard and at the same time it's very hard to run a manufacturing uh, a manufacturing factory i mean you got like hundreds of labor working there you have no idea what those people are working on what are their efficiencies what is the visibility the production happening or not and i was just like as a manufacturer especially a small size family run manufacturing unit it's just super hard and i think like realize that i mean at the same time we also met like a few folks who were doing it in a very technology first way mm-hmm. they had a complete technology erp system installed in their factories and actually they sounded much more relaxed and much more confident about their business uh and sort of like this is where we started realizing that it's actually not a human problem or a manufacturing problem or a people problem it's actually a data problem uh the customers and the buyers have zero or the suppliers have zero idea of where the manufacturing is is it even happening or not what's the requirement what's the output no way to measure it to see it and i think like this got a like super excited on how we can actually solve some of these very very large problems uh and sort of like global in nature with millions of manufacturers and customers and just to wonders about it mm. sorry long story but i think no uh, no definitely uh, an interesting story uh, going back to jaipur then what was that like what what questions did you ask and obviously was there any trust issues because you know you you were two two new guys on the block as it were speaking to these old old, old school manufacturers <laughs> oh yeah absolutely and i think like this is something that i see so many founders struggle with uh, newbies you you're talking to people who are 20 years into the industry i've been doing this stuff know their trade and you're asking them tough questions and you sort of like suggesting solutions as well as you go along so it's just very hard to build that trust along as you go along but i think one of the things that we did was we spoke to them we did not ask them about manufacturing per se yeah, we okay. knew that they they knew manufacturing much much more than us mm. we spoke to them about their pain points of building trust with their customers talking to their customers sharing data and then we asked asked them some questions about like whether they knew how much your factory was producing every day whether they knew which worker is the best whether they knew which pro- process was the bottleneck in actual throughput or what their quality levels are which sort of like hit their pain points so we did not question them on did do you know what is the needle to use do you know which uh, cloth to use they know that much better than us so i mean most importantly we did not hurt their ego or their knowledge but at the same time we talked spoke to them about their pain points did you have like assumptions going into those meetings then oh yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely i think like we definitely i mean so one of our initial thoughts was the manufacturers probably don't know how to manufacture <laughs> they probably were doing it wrong or they were not providing the right quality mm. uh they were not quality oriented and per se i mean i think again like i mean as you hear every day people believe that oh the small manufacturer they don't care about quality and those are the, the those were the assumptions that we had as well but eventually we realized that no these people are like super hard working they care about the quality 
what they don't know is what is the right quality expected by the customer and again like it came back to us that it's a data problem rather than actually uh, actual hustle or the intention problem and i think this was a biggest assum- a big- biggest assumption that was broken so you got the you done the initial customer validation feedback etc um how did you get this off the ground then uh, what were the initial stages of you know product development uh, building mvp uh, i think like we were really the first thing that we did was really build an amazing team. Right, okay. uh, not a large team, but there were three founders. We got a couple of people who understand technology, our engineering head, the design head, the UX head. And then we also got one person who understood manufacturing very deeply. Mm. Uh, really, really amazing people, super hard to convince them, but they came on board. And I think like post that, it was just like getting our feet, hands dirty. We went to manufacturing, uh, manufacturing facilities. We built some initial very basic to use Excel-based or WhatsApp-based solutions, tested them out, sat with the laborers, sat with the quality control guys, worked with their processes, and really tried to use the bare-bones system that we built using WhatsApp, Airtable, or Excel, Mm. and just to get an idea of whether we can even make some impact or not, Mm. and try to measure the result there. I think like this this was an amazing thing that we did uh, for the first couple of months, and then the the fan and COVID hit, nothing would happen. Yeah, so, <laughs> so then we were locked down for like three or four months mm. and we tried to do as much as possible remotely sitting in our homes. But I think like uh, a couple of our team members were, had their own, they had their own setups or they had some uncles who had their own setups and they started doing some things on the ground in those factories, especially while manufacturing PPE kits, which is what we yeah. sort of pivoted into for the meantime. Uh, I think that's where we sort of like tried to do all these things and got some really amazing feedback, amazing execution capability uh, within the team. And at the same time, we were able to show some initial results to our future customers and Mm. suppliers. Mm. How how long did it take you to get your first proper paying customers, as it were? Uh, So our first proper paying customer came in like six months from the time we started anything. Mm. Is that what you expected then? Yeah. I mean, honestly, to be honest, like we had a, we had intentions from paying customers from day one. Itself. Oh, okay. All right, okay. That's good. Yeah, that was helpful. Mm-hmm. And then, and those those first paying customers, how did you onboard those customers? Because obviously that, that's really important. Now. You, you don't want to mess that one up, near. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so one good thing was that, I mean, we were we had been speaking to so many people during part of our journey mm-hmm. of figuring out what, figuring out the plan. Mm-hmm. And I think like that really helped us build, connect with so many people out there in the market. And those people sort of got invested in our journey uh, and they wanted to see us succeed. They wanted to see somebody like people like us coming from outside the industry and really solving some of the pain points. And a couple of them were really, I mean, I'm really grateful to them to, uh, for them to give us the opportunity of serving them as pilot programs. So can you share some stats then? You know, when did you start it? Um, you know, how, how many brands do you work with, et cetera? And- yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we started the company in January 2020. Yeah. Uh, we raised a seed round from Axel and Elevation back then. Then COVID hit, the COVID hit and we the operations really started in July 2020, which is when we signed up our first customer and first set of the suppliers. So from there to now, about 18, 20 months from uh, 20 months, we work with over 250 customers. Wow. We work with 150 manufacturing facilities in India and Bangladesh. Our customers are also fairly spread out across India, Dubai, U, uh, UK, US. So, so yeah, I mean, like the journey has been amazing for us. Mm-hmm. 
Definitely sounds amazing. Is that what you expected, though, when you oh, first started? Much it's much better than what we expected, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. So how, how fast are you growing, then? Oh, we're growing almost like 20% month on month. Mm, cool, cool. And how, how are you scaling the operation? How are you scaling the business, as it were? Yeah. Uh, so in terms of the operations in the business, we've taken a very... Uh, so on the customer side, we are we have set up a great sales and customer success team now. Okay. And we're also hiring locally in the US and Dubai to scale up our customer presence there. India, we have always had a strong team and we continue to scale it up there. At the same time, we're now investing a lot in our branding and marketing to really help the mm -hmm. sales team be, become more efficient and also spread out our, our brand. Yeah. Uh, on the supply and the operation side, I think we've taken a very technology first approach mm -hmm. instead of a people first approach. So we're putting our technology to, to use and we're actually going very, very strong on technology implementation on the operation side, which mm -hmm. really sets us up for scale. So even if we scale 10x in three months, our operations and supply chain would not break. Mm -hmm. oh, good. That's good. Yeah, let's talk about you know innovation technology. How, how's that helping? Can you give examples of what you're doing? I think like like you said as well, you've never spoken to a custom company like us. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that has been our challenge as well. We have really, very, very few people we have spoken to under, who understand what we do or have built this in the past. Couple of examples here and there. and But I think it's such a large problem it's also such a vertical problem. So somebody who has solved manufacturing, and let's say, I don't know, engineering goods, challenges there would be very different from what we are solving in our industry, which is fashion supply chain. And that is why I think we, for us, the biggest challenge is solving manufacturing. What, how do we really solve manufacturing, especially when it comes to small and mid-size enterprise, small and mid-size factories? The larger factories still are much more reliable, can do a lot of stuff. And there we have to do it in a very cost-effective manner as well. Hmm. Because these factories cannot, let's say, absorb very large-scale or expensive ERP technology implementations of like an SAP or an Oracle. So we had to innovate our way around on how do we use the existing technology, which could be, let's say, smartphones, which are owned by the factory, factory workers. How can we use smartphones? How can we use easy-to-use and cheap tablets hmm. to completely digitize the entire shop floor in the factory? The, the and the problem that we are trying to solve is providing real-time data on what's happening inside the factory so that everybody can take corrective actions at the right time, mm -hmm. not wait for the last minute. Mm -hmm. For example, I'll give you an example. Yes. Uh, so whenever a cloth is made, one of the first steps is cutting the fabric. Now, as you can understand, like if you're not cutting the fabric to the right measurement, you will definitely not have the final garment, which is correct. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you know that you've cut the product correctly or if there is any challenge there or not or what kind of measurements that you need to have so that even finally you're not producing goods which effectively their customers does not want. Mm. And that is where we provide real-time feedback with our, uh, so a cutting, so basically the cutting labor inside the factory has a tablet which gives us complete visibility of, okay, what are the CAD patterns like? Mm. What are the measurements like? Everything is there on the single platform. Mm. And when you do that, you have a quality control, you get real-time feedback. Okay, first 20 pieces were cut. There was a challenge. There was a one-inch error in the arm length, which was cut. So which means that the next pieces which would be cut, the quality control guy can go and actually fix it. Mm -hmm. So you're resulting in very, very quick iteration and quick feedback on the quality inside the factories, mm -hmm. which ultimately removes all kinds of errors, which reduces the wastage that happens in the factory, hence it's much more sustainable. At the same time, it 
really increases the speed and the top line, the bottom line for the factories. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, so I'm right, am I right in thinking you're adding value to every bit of the stage then? Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. Every bit of the manufacturing stage. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Can you work with any company around the world then? Oh yeah, absolutely. Now I think our technology is really strong. We're working with the largest of the brands. Uh, won't name all of them, it's sort of confidential, but we also mm-hmm. work with like the really early stage startups as well. And in terms of the supply side, you may mentioned ethical. How are you making sure it is ethical then? Yeah, that's a great question. I think because you would have heard so much about how some of these large brands don't care about the supply chain or their products are being manufactured in sweatshops to save costs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, especially true because many, most of the manufacturing is in low-income countries mm. where the regulations may not be that strong. Now, let's say if I am Zara, a Zara would never want their products to be manufactured in sweatshops. Mm. But the challenge for them is they might go and place an order with a large factory, which is compliant, regulated, great facility, they visited it. But what really happens on the back end, whether that factory is really producing the goods or are they outsourcing it to a sweatshop on the back? This is the biggest challenge these, uh, these customers face, these brands face. Mm-hmm. Uh, either you put like n number of people on the ground uh, or you are just relying on what the factory is telling you. And in fact, one of the couple of incidences which were highlighted in Bangladesh where Zara goods were being manufactured in sweatshop were also because of this. Like Zara had not directly gone ahead and uh, found a sweatshop to produce their goods for cheap prices. Mm. It was the manufacturer or the middlemen in the the middle who were doing this. Mm -hmm. Now, because our technology is now implemented on the shop floor, on the assembly line, it's just impossible for anybody to bypass it. Whatever is being manufactured on the assembly line gets converted into data and goes directly to Zara. So they know if the T-shirt that, they, uh, that they're wearing, they know which factory was manufacturing it, which assembly line which was manufacturing it, what time and timestamp was it manufactured and how many pieces were there. So this gives complete traceability and visibility of who and where the products are being manufactured, which completely eliminates the chances of your goods being outsourced to uh, or subcontracted to a sweatshop. Mm-hmm. This is how we really help them solve for ethicality in the supply chain. Mm-hmm. It's always a balance, isn't it? Because obviously, you know, whole, the whole point of a business is to make money, but you've got to do it yeah. in, a, in an ethical way as well. It's, it's that balance, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think which is what we are now realizing. Uh, number one, it does not cause uh, cost you extra to be ethical as a brand. Your margins are super strong. You're not about saving a few cents on the back end you're all about making sure your customers purchase the goods like all of these companies sell their goods at like 50 to 70 percent gross margin so it is not about that it is always about whether the middle layer the layer which is removing transparency adding opacity whether that layer is trying to cut some corners to make a few cents extra a few percentage margin points extra and i think this is what we want to solve for so in terms of competition then are you like the top dogs in india then are you like number one or are you the <laughs> middle players or you know what where how would no, you rank no. yourself we're actually i mean like if you talk about new age technology enabled players for this mm. we are now biggest in the world wow. so not just india we're actually biggest in the world mm-hmm. and we're actually now bigger than a lot of these large traditional players mm. not the biggest they're bigger than yeah bigger than us but i think like we're doing fairly well now because i'm am i right in thinking like china's number one and then for like manufacturing, and then is is India next or? No, I think China is number one. Then the second would be Bangladesh. Right. They are much very big now. 
uh, actually also multiple multiple kinds of products but yeah china then bangladesh then india vietnam turkey so many more countries nowadays mm. what, what are people ordering then what can you tell what's trending and what's not and... oh yeah absolutely i think uh, because online has become very big yeah. in fashion e-commerce now mm. uh, is a new thing and also the fact that people are now working from home more than let's say going to the office <laughs> so the kind of requirement is saying people want more comfort clothes people want more active wear they want to exercise they're exercising a lot apparently uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But I think one very important thing which we have seen is that people are also getting more personalized. Right. Okay. Everybody says that they have their own style statement. Mm. They don't care about what's trending in general. All right. They care about what's trending for them. Mm. So if I'm, let's say, uh, I don't know, if I'm a Jay-Z fan, mm. okay, I would probably like more streetwear. I would probably like more slightly flashy clothes which suit a rapper. But at the same time, you might be a Leonardo DiCaprio fan. So you might prefer a completely different thing. And I think the good thing about this world nowadays is we both would be comfortable with each other. Mm. Yeah, it's not the same world where everybody expected men to be in mm. those trousers and dress dress shirts, etc. Mm. I, I, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose you know that's the thing with fashion; it it moves really fast. You know what what's yeah. in trend six months ago may not be trending trending six months six months later, as it were. So you you've got to keep on top of that. And, Absolutely, absolutely. And I think like because of social media, the trend is actually becoming faster and yeah. faster. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's not about six months, it could change in six days. Mm. Six days? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> it's crazy out there now. I mean, you you have no idea what Jay-Z is going to post on Instagram tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, let's talk about you, your background. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So, so I graduated from IIT Delhi 2012. Yeah. Did my electrical engineering there, spent a couple of years at a bank, Deutsche Bank. I was there for two years. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, it was a great place. I spent almost like a long time in London as well. So mm. it was a great experience, but I think honestly, it just wasn't for me. Mm. So so I left it in two years, uh, grouped with a couple of friends of mine from college, and we started a startup in healthcare called Curify. Okay. Yeah, so then sort of like built a stack overflow for doctors right. to discuss patient cases online on an app. And uh, healthcare at that time, uh, it wasn't really technology first, to be honest. Yeah. Like, nobody cared about technology in healthcare. So we started from there. We got almost like half a million doctors in India, sort of like 50% of doctors' population mm -hmm. online, got them to discuss cases. Really, really amazing platform. It's still going straight. It's strong. Yeah. In 2017, we got acquired by a Seattle-based company called Edifex, okay. uh, which brought us out. Great outcome for us. Mm -hmm. Spent two more years with them before I started Fashions Up with my co-founders now. Mm -hmm. Talk about that process then of deciding when to sell. Well, obviously, our listeners may be in that position as well. Uh, was, <laughs> was it was it tough to walk away? Was it the right? Talk about that experience of selling your selling selling your baby, as it were. Yeah, yeah, I know it's tough. It's tough to be honest. And uh, even today, I keep debating whether I should have done that. Uh, <laughs> but to be honest, like I mean. We, at that point of time, we were three young, broke founders. We had built a great company, but obviously we had no money. Like, mm. Just like we had, a, we took in some seed investment. That was all. And we were doing great. Uh, we had great interest from new investors as well. But I mm. think kind of offer that came in with the lure of money, I think just sort of like mm. pulled, us, <laughs> pulled us away. Mm. Uh, and we didn't want to sell, to be honest. I think the offer was great. Also, the times were t uh, turbulent. At that time, in general funding environment, 
but i think like most importantly we just got a great offer we saw a great partner and thought mm-hmm. that okay why not let's go ahead and let's see uh what we can do next what are you motivated now then by now because obviously oh. you made the money from the the first start exit so yeah i think this is one thing that i've realized i think money is just like one parameter for your success and even for your motivation some bit of money is okay like you don't need too much so i'm not a guy who wants to own a private jet or something like that so money ceases to be a motivation after a point for me i care most about the impact whether i'm impacting millions of lives or not whether i'm changing the way things work i mean we all keep on talking about how we want the things to be different for example people talk a lot about they want fashion to be more sustainable it should not be destroying the environment it should not go to landfill for me it's about like whether am i doing something to change that mm. and i think this is what motivates me few years later i can say that, oh i reduced 20% of the entire wastage in the fashion supply chain 20% less clothes are going to landfill now that's success for me that is what motivates me nowadays mm-hmm. what what's been the best day in your career so far then is oh. there any, <laughs> any specific moment in time i think when we uh, we sort of like i told you about like how we were sitting in factories and trying to figure out stuff how we can improve the throughput there or some things like that mm. when we did some sort of like uh, technology implementation we realized that within 6 months no, sorry 6 weeks my bad we were able to reduce rejections on an assembly line from as high as 20% to as low as 3% mm-hmm. so that means 17% of clo- less clothes were getting manufactured because they were not getting rejected and that actually like it increases profits for the factories it reduces the work of the labor it actually increases profits for them as well at the same time it's just like less clothes going to landfill because you no know, who wants rejected clothes mm. yeah 100% yeah last few questions then plans for the future um you know what what would this business look like in say you know 10 years 20 years time nice i'm happy that you talked about 10 years and not couple of years <laughs> <laughs> so yeah see for us 10 years is absolutely clear i mean we want to enable a world in which fashion is just in time you order some clothes on amazon they get manufactured delivered straight to you from the manufacturer directly mm-hmm. so that there's absolutely zero wastage in the entire supply chain goods only get manufactured when the customer wants it you get the best price brands make money suppliers make good money and effectively we're taking out all the inefficiency and the waste in the supply chain that's that's where we want to be so it has to be super fast it has to be super agile and effectively it has to enable personalization for the end customer yeah awesome. that's where we want to be in 10 years that's <laughs> like a great vision there um advice for our listeners you know as a you know second time entrepreneur what advice would you give to our first time entrepreneurs what should they be focusing oh, on i think one of the biggest things that i would i like to talk to and tell everyone is number one think bigger than the biggest you have ever thought of Uh, and i think this is one mistake that we made in the past which is what we try not trying actively trying to solve for that now is i think as entrepreneurs you can do a lot bigger and whenever we start a company we thought think that okay we'll be able to solve x y x etc but i think i've always realized it's always best to start with a very very large vision think 10x but 10x higher than what you are currently thinking and this is when you start building amazing solutions amazing 
give amazing uh, experience to your customers because now you're thinking about having the biggest impact possible uh, for your customers and for yourselves. And this is when you start building amazing stuff. Like this is what I tell every entrepreneur that I meet nowadays. Think much, much bigger, way, way higher. You might not think that you're capable of doing that, but again, it's not a one-year journey. It's a 10-year journey. You learn along the way. But until you start thinking bigger, you won't be able to get there. 100% think big. Awesome stuff. Actually, have you got hiring philosophies as well? You know, how do you evaluate people? Because, oh, yeah. you know, obviously you've gone from like three three people to 10 people to like, you know, 100 plus, 150 plus. It'll grow, 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 yeah. etc. But, you know, people around the world as well. So what, how do you evaluate stuff? Sure, sure. I think that there's two parts to it. Mm-hmm. Number one is evaluating people. And the second is convincing them. And I think we've worked a lot on how to convince them. We have also worked a lot on how to evaluate our, evaluate the people. Uh, we've built a proper structured framework to around how we evaluate the people starting from what are their problem solving skills. So one interview would always be about just testing the problem solving skills, right. giving them a lot of case studies to work on, talking to them about scenarios, etc. Second is talk to them deeply about the previous product that they worked on. Did they even care about that product? Do they even know about the product that they themselves worked on it? How would they do things differently if they were the people in charge? Uh, we talk about that. That shows us whether the whether the person is motivated about whatever thing that they're doing and whether they are focused on excellence. And the third very important thing is just the culture fit. So we talk to them about like how we work. We give them complete transparency around what our work culture is, uh, where it is good, where it is bad. We're always open to improving, but yes, this is where we are today. So, and all three parameters, we only choose people who excel on all three parameters. So problem solving, previous excellence, and the culture fit. Mm-hmm. It's just like, absolutely, uh, it might mean that we have to interview 20 people for every person we have, but that be it. I mean, like, mm-hmm. this is where we have to spend our time. And I think second thing is we convince the right people. It's very hard to convince the best people. I'm like, if somebody is really good at all three, a lot of people want to hire them. And this is where we have worked so much on telling the people about where we are, what we do. And most importantly, because internally we have given our people a lot of trust, a lot of freedom to help set them for success they actually go ahead and convince their friends to join us mm-hmm. and they become our advocates. And this is where we have really killed our hiring. We've done a, been able to do a great job there. Mm-hmm. I was reading the other day about NFTs in the fashion space. Yeah. Uh, have you got any thoughts on that? <laughs> you could wear like, you know, Nike shoes in the metaverse or something like that. I don't know. I know, I know. Uh, I mean, still just trying to understand mm-hmm. what is happening there. I think there's a lot of excitement around NFTs and metaverse, having fashion in metaverse, etc. All these brands are also trying to do some pilot pro- programs and see what works, what does not. But I think we're all, we'll continue to be super excited about it. We're watching it very closely, how customers are reacting, and let's see what works there. Mm-hmm. What what excites you most about what you're doing then? Biggest excitement for me still comes from the fact that we're improving manufacturing, we're making it very, very transparent, and ultimately we're reducing the all kinds of wastage. I mean, Neil, would you believe that if I told you passion is manufacturing two times the product which it needs to manufacture, two times right. minimum, and that extra production benefits no one, neither the manufacturer, nor the brand, nor the customers. And I think this is where we are. And I think like this is this is what keeps me awake and this is what keeps me most excited. 
I keep on looking at whether we are able to reduce the make it this make the supply chain fast, reduce the waste, reduce the amount of goods that are being manufactured unnecessarily. This is what keeps me excited. Awesome stuff. Um, has anyone helped you on your journey? Anyone you like to you know thank and praise or any any mentors? Any? Oh, a lot of people. I think like starting from my family, of course, mm-hmm. my wife, my parents. Like siblings, they've been like super motivating, super supportive in my journey. I know how much they have to sacrifice because I spent an enormous amount of time here. But I think they've been like super amazing to me and only given me more motivation. Uh, that's for sure, my friends. But at the same time, I think like a lot of mentors in my journey. Uh, I've met so many amazing folks. Uh, my previous mentors, uh, Rajul, for example, one of the so he's a successful entrepreneurs. He's been an advisor and investor to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, They've been like great for folks. At the same time, some people who might know, not know me, but I, for example, a lot of sports people actually, that's where I drive a lot of my inspiration. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I don't know if you watch cricket, but yeah, Sarah yeah. Is, is an inspiration for me how he leads, how he trusts his team and empowers them. I think like, mm. I would love to thank Sarah Gangli. I don't know if he's listening or not, but. You never know. You never know. <laughs> would, would, you, would you say he's, he's your favorite Indian captain then? Oh, absolutely. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Mm-hmm. He built the team, he led them, and he just sort of like built that killer instinct for generations to come. Mm-hmm. It's the last question then for people mm-hmm. who want more information, Pashinza yeah, uh, and, and yourself. Uh, what must they do? I mean, the best way to do is reach out to me on LinkedIn if you want to talk to me. Or, uh, I mean, actually LinkedIn is the best that works for us. If you want to work with us, please reach out to us on fashionsa.com. We're always there to help. We're always there to speak. Awesome, Pawan. Thank you for coming on the show today. I really, really enjoyed it. Thanks, Neil. Super, super amazing talk to you. Awesome stuff. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks to Pawan for coming on the show today. I really enjoyed it. For more information, check out fashionsa.com. That is the end of the show. And thank you for listening and supporting the podcast. I will be back next week. And let's connect on facebook.com forward slash Indian Startup Show or Twitter at Indian Startup SH or you can email me hello at neilpatel.co. Thank you and goodbye.